0: Yora, from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoytoy, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service, and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page, or feel free to contact our church office. Pastor Taulu mentioned, okay, we're inaugurating a new series called Make Room. It's about the Holy Spirit. And our text is about Jesus preparing the disciples for His departure. And how many of you know, one of the hardest things to do is to say goodbye and leave a family member for an extended period of time. I don't know if you know it. I mean, you give a big speech, you get all emotional, you cry and all that. And for me, that happened when Sophia, our eldest, this was about two years ago, got into a cross-cultural exchange program in Cambodia. Well, you know, she had three choices, Japan, Korea, Cambodia. Oh, great, which one did you pick? Cambodia, why did you pick Cambodia? You, had, you could have gone to Japan, you could have gone to Korea. She picked Cambodia of all places. So anyway, I fly over her over there. And then, you know, how it goes, I was there for about three days. Oh, God, I saw her apartment. Oh, my goodness, it's in the worst part of the city. And then Cambodia is known for just petty crime, not serious crime, but a lot of petty crime. She has to ride a motorcycle. Everything. She's never ridden a motorcycle, so I bought her a helmet. You know, so by the time I had to leave her, you know, I had to stay safe, wear your helmet all the time, study well, get plugged in church, help make this, et cetera, et cetera. So, a very emotional moment, and this is her. She looked like she was 13 years old, right? She was 20 in this picture, and what she's holding on a stick is a bug. You know, Kamais, that's Cambodians, they eat bugs on a daily basis. It's normal food, so that's a deep-fried something. I don't know, cockroach, literally, you can eat cockroach. Yeah, it's served in the mall, and I'm not kind of sure what kind of bug this was, so It was very difficult for me when I said my goodbyes to Sophia, so we weren't going to see her for about five months. And that's where Jesus was, right in the text we're about to read. So it was His final week, so He had been with them for three years, discipling them, training them, now it comes down to the final week. In fact, it was the last supper, this was the last meal that we're going to have together. So Jesus had been ministering to the crowds, fed the 5,000, but this time it was just Him and the 12 disciples for their final briefing. It's a time to encapsulate everything He had walked them through and taught them and trained them. And so He gave them their final instructions. So that's from John 13 to 17. But let me just read chapter 13, verse 1. I just love this verse. It's before our text in chapter 14. But it says, Having loved His own, who were in the world he loved them to the end think about that having loved the disciples who were his he loved them to the end and obviously that refers to his death on the cross but what's interesting is right after this verse the very next verse Jesus stood up he removed his outer garments he put a towel around his waist and he washed the feet of the disciples so think about that for a moment it has nothing to do with our message but i was just so gripped by that verse in other words we could never match the cross there is no greater act of love or sacrifice than the cross and yet if you think about it serving others isn't that too far behind jesus death on the cross we show our love to the end or maybe i can rephrase that there probably There's not a lot of ways that we can show greater love other than serving. And so when I saw our friend earlier here in church early, and then later on in a few minutes wearing an usher's tag, that's not too far from dying on the cross for our sins in terms of expressing great love, biblically speaking at least. And so anyway, he sat down with them, one last time, and prepared them for his departure. And so we pick the conversation up in chapter 14. This was all the same evening, same moment. Again, it spans chapter 14 to 17 in, in the Bible. But Jesus said in verse 16. Let me start in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Jumping to verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have have said to you. Okay, Holy Spirit, we submit to you this morning. We thank you for your presence that's with us. Bless the preaching and the teaching of your word. Renew our minds, transform our hearts, shape our lives into the image of Christ. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So in other words, this was a very emotional moment for Jesus Christ. This was not some theological, religious discussion. Jesus was pouring His heart out. This was the last evening He had with the disciples. And really, His primary concern was that the disciples would not fall away. Chapter 16, verse 1 says that. It said, I have said all these things to you, referring to our text, to keep you from falling away. So you can imagine Jesus very concerned, If I can say a bit afraid of the disciples, he's thinking, wow, these guys might crack under pressure once I leave. And so he's pouring his heart out to them. Don't worry, he was saying. In fact, the disciples themselves, the text says, they were troubled and they were full of sorrow. They're thinking, we left everything to follow you and now you're leaving us. I I can imagine what they're thinking. But see, Jesus assured them, I'm not leaving or abandoning you. In fact, quite the opposite. Every promise in the Old Testament we're believing for is about to be fulfilled. And it's about to be fulfilled through a person called the Holy Spirit. I have to leave so that the promises will come to pass. And it comes to pass in the person of a person with a capital P, the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus said another helper... In the original language, it meant of the same kind, same as me. It didn't mean another, meaning a different kind. It meant the same as me, a person, the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible gives the Holy Spirit personal attributes. He's a helper. He's our counselor. And in fact, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So this is a person that we're talking about. But perhaps the best way to understand the Holy Spirit is to understand His role in our lives. See, one of the ways we identify or understand a person is through his role or his occupation. See, for example, when you meet a person for the first time, what's the first question that you ask? Well, how are you? Yeah, well, that's right. Okay, how are you? And then second question, what's your name? Correct. Third question, I didn't practice my wife. What's the third question that you ask a person? He's fine. His name is Joey. What's the next thing you ask? Where are you from? Okay, number four. Okay, I guess the fifth question you ask is, what do you do, right? And that's how you frame a person. It's the difference between Larry versus Larry the plumber. And when he says, I'm Larry the plumber, okay, that gives you context, right? It helps you identify who a person is. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to know he's holy and he's a spirit, okay? Then what do you do, okay? What's the Holy Spirit's role? Now, obviously, we're not going to read everything in the text, but through that entire passage from chapter 13 to 17, four times, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as our helper. So that's His primary role to help us. Then three times, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And the way it does that, it says in that passage is He will teach us all things. We just read that. And then He will bring to our remembrance all Christ said. The Holy Spirit will bear witness about Christ. And this I love, in chapter 16, verse 13, He will guide us into all truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit reorients us to the truth with a capital T. That's how He helps us. Okay? It's like an inner truth compass inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit, on a daily basis, teaches us the truth. Now, you have to understand, teaching is a very fundamental part of the Christian faith, of the Christian tradition. It's through teaching that we become part of the covenant of God, and through the teaching of the Word of God that we perpetuate this covenant to the next generation and the next generation coming after. That's why in the Shema, which I'll get to in a few minutes, remember uh, the Old Testament says in Deuteronomy, teach it to your children. Your children's children, your children's children, post it on your doorposts, wear it on your hat or your head or something. It's through teaching that we perpetuate this faith. And how do we make disciples under the Great Commission? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son of the Lord, teaching them everything I have commanded you to the ends of the earth. In other words, that's how we become part of the covenant, and that's how we continue in this Christian tradition. But see, the, what separates Christian teaching from other teaching— is that it's not a bunch of rules. We don't teach information. We teach the nature of God. See, the law, if I can say it, or the Ten Commandments or biblical truth is all about the nature of God. And so when we instruct others in Christian truth, we are rooting them in the nature of God. The Ten Commandments is simply a reflection of the character of God. It's simply a mirror image of who God is. It helps us build a community that reflects who God is to the rest of the outside world. And the more we understand the nature of God in teaching and relation, the more we reflect Him to the world, which was very significant, particularly in the Old Testament when they lived in a very pagan, polytheistic world. In other words, here's my simple point for you this morning. The Holy Spirit is our daily truth with a capital T. He's our daily truth. He's not the big headline truth, not just the big headline truth. He's our daily truth, teaching us every day, reminding us every day, reorienting us every day to the truth of God's Word. Some people find their daily truth for my generation and those older in the newspaper, right? Some people, or your generation today, find it in, God forbid, Facebook, or Twitter, right? Or some people, uh, even worse, they check their daily horoscope to find truth. But for the followers of God, for followers of Jesus, for disciples, we find truth through the Holy Spirit who reorients us to the truth, Jesus Christ. Now, why do we need to be taught? Some of you are asking. We're adults. I mean, we can read the Bible for ourselves. Well, yes, that's true. But we're also stubborn. You know, Paul said, what I don't want to do, I do, and what I need to do, I don't do, okay? So again, we're very, very stubborn. We reject rules. That's our sinful nature. In fact, we challenge authority. I mean, all those Hollywood movies from Rambo, sorry, that's my generation To I'm not sure what the latest. Have you noticed that trend? It's all about rejecting authority. It's about me being the man. It's me being true to myself. It's me going my own way. That's not in the Bible, okay? But that's our nature. You know, like our kids, if you have kids like our kids, in particular, we like to be like the world. And if you're like our kids, you know, our kids growing up, because we did not allow them to have, what do you call those, PlayStation, video games, kind of. We didn't allow, just that's just our, for us, we didn't allow them to have video games until they, what, turned th- about 13, 14, or 15. So they catch up. how come, you know, the Puntzelans get to play PlayStation, how come, you know, so-and-so, they have, uh, what's the other stuff, Minintendos in their home. And so our response is always, are you a punzalan?" <laughs> or are you, uh, nothing wrong with video game, but again, it's just, are you a Mora? You're a Paderes, and Pader, as a Paderes, you can't play with PlayStation until so-and-so such age. Or Exodus 24, God told Moses to go up Mount Sinai to give him the Ten Commandments, And he told the people to wait. And they said, yeah, sure, everything God says, we're going to do it. Don't worry, everything God says. Forty days later, he comes up, what does he find? A golden calf, right? Or in John 3.19, it says, this is a judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. So we need to be taught on a daily basis because left to ourselves, we want to be like the world. Left to ourselves, we're going to challenge authority. But see, Peter said, we are strangers and aliens. We're not of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And that's why we need rules. Or if some of you you are already reacting to the word rules, we need to live by a certain code, a different code from the way the world lives. See, what we don't realize is that rules protect and safeguard relationships. They're not designed to limit us. They're not designed to inhibit us. They're designed to protect our relationship with God. When you go to school, you need rules. How many of you know you need deadlines? You know, you need assignments. You need to behave a certain way, or else nobody's going to do it. I'll admit. Like Pastor Taulo, I'm I'm studying now too in a different uh, seminary. If it weren't for the deadlines, I'm not going to read all the books that we're supposed to read. How many of you know that, right, Pastor Taul? There's no way I'm going to read, what, several hundred pages a week. Just no way. But because of the rules and the regulations, I'm forced to do it. And I thank God that I'm reading all of that, all of the stuff I'm reading. You know, if you're part of our rugby team, how many of you know there's rules. You have to live by certain rules. There's practice. You have to show up for practice. There's team meetings. There's curfew. I hope there's curfews here. Are there curfews with all blacks or they can do whatever they want? Yeah, they are. So even the all blacks are under the law. In a marriage, you have to be faithful, right? There's priorities in marriage. And so it's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. I didn't marry my wife to live under a certain You know, rule or be kind of restricted in terms of my relationships with other women. I married her because I loved her, because of the relationship. And if I want to protect that relationship, then there's a certain code that I have to live by to protect and enhance our marriage. See, God never stopped loving us when we broke the rules, but it broke the covenant relationship we had with God when we broke the law and it placed us outside of His covenant blessing and protection. Now, what's interesting is throughout Scripture, love and obedience were always related, even in the Old Testament. God's love and the law, believe it or not, were always connected. In fact, let me read the Shema, which I referred to earlier. That's what the Israelites called this particular passage, Deuteronomy 6:46, which by the way, to them, how do I explain this? It's how they viewed the world. This is how they viewed life. That's what the Shema is. In fact, to this day, Orthodox Jews would recite this three times a day because it wasn't just some religious chant or confession. It was really how they understood life. Deuteronomy 6:46. hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In fact, if I can kind of just uh, add a certain thing, this was a very significant declaration that the Lord is one. See, you have to understand they lived in a polytheistic world. In fact, Egypt at that time held the record for the number of idols worshipped. So Israel was now being formed as the people of God, and they lived in a polytheistic world where, where the way they, they worshipped was, for example, if we lived back then, and you would, you just wanted to go to the river to get a pail of water. As soon as you left your tent or whatever they called it, and you walked across the field. Now there's a, a field god, all right? So you had to worship the field god to allow him, to allow you to walk across the field. So you did whatever you did, sacrifice whatever you had to sacrifice. Now you had to you pass a tree. Now there's a tree god, which by the time Uh, At the time, they typically believed was an evil god. So you had to do another set of worship, I don't know, something. And then finally, you got to the river. By the time you got to the river, now there's a river god. So again, you had to do another set of uh, rituals or chants or ceremonies just to get a pail of water. Now, you have to understand, these gods did not work in tandem. They were individual separate gods, and one mistake and calamity would fall upon you. So it was a very complicated, very oppressive religious polytheistic system. And so what God was saying here is, is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God over all of life and over all of creation. You You don't have to worship all of these false idols. There's only one God who rules over all of creation. And then verse 5, and you shall love the Lord, this God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, referring to the law, that I command you today should be on your heart. In other words, again, the law and love were always hand in hand throughout Scripture. And in this final moment Jesus had with His disciples, He kept talking about the relationship between love and love and obedience. I mean that passage we read I skipped a few verses but it was it was a uh, kind of a lot of law and love were inserted in before in between and after those passages. It was always about the relationship between law and love. In fact, another way to put it is that the holy spirit is an act of love on the part of God and on our part. An act of love on his part By sending the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us forever. There's nothing you can do to shake off the Holy Spirit from you. He's in there forever. You like Him or not, believe Him or not, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Jesus did not leave us. We were not abandoned. He is not absent. In fact, in contrast, He dwells in us forever. It's an act of love on our part because by having the law now written in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, our need for an external law to govern us disappeared when the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of us because the Holy Spirit is now the law written in our hearts. And all the Holy Spirit does is to remind us again, to reorient us to the law that's written in our hearts. The law never disappeared. It disappeared externally because it's now inside of us and we now have the power to live it. You know, I was reading a book earlier this month, again, as part of my requirements, and it really impacted me. And it's a book on calling, right? And all of us, every Christian almost, has a good idea of calling. And he talked about the three callings in our lives. Whoa, so I was saying three callings, okay? I'm aware of our general calling, right? I mean, vocational calling. So what's... What kind of three callings is he talking about? So the first he talked about is our general calling, he said. And that's our call to be a Christian. So every individual is called to be a Christian, I believe. Okay, I understand. Oh, yeah, I get it. Okay, I understand. I wonder what the second calling is. And the second calling, he says, is our specific calling, I believe. Yes, our specific calling. And it has to do with our vocation. And so for Pastor taul and I, that means being called into ministry. For others, it means being called to be... Uh, a plumber, like I said, or a businessman, or a lawyer, or a judge, okay, like Eddie, so it's all equal in the eyes of God, but we have our specific callings in life, so when I got to that, I was surprised, oh, okay, I and mean, that's the calling we're all familiar with, what could, what third calling could there be, and, you know, every book I've read would always kind of end with a specific calling, because that's like the climax, you know, that's like the, the biggest thing we could think of, so how could he consider a specific calling? Just a sec, what could be bigger than a specific calling? And according to this author, he said, our third calling is our daily duties and responsibilities. Wow, that really impacted me. In other words, according to this author, what we do on a daily basis is a part of our calling. In fact, the way I rephrase it in a way that makes sense to me, it's our mission for the day. In other words, when you choose to turn Netflix off, what was that movie, Bird Box, if you choose to turn Bird Box off so that you can play Monopoly with your kids, that's your daily calling. When you choose to, I don't know, uh, say no to your rugby mates and go instead with your wife to the grocery, that's your daily mission in life. And that reframed how I viewed my daily life. In fact, I remember like a few weeks ago, I was supposed to study, I forget, I had some big paper to write, but then I had to take my my one car to the vulcanizing, the tire blew out, and then I had to run back, and take the other car to have the fuel filter change. There was some problems. So normally, I would be stressed, and it's like, I'm wasting my time. Instead of writing a paper, I'm having to do these cars. But then, because of this, I was thinking, huh, on the other hand, this is my mission for the day. God called me to fix our cars so that during the week, my wife and my kids wouldn't have any problems, get to school, get to work in time, and no problem. So that changed how I viewed my daily life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit not only helps us in the big headlines, the Holy Spirit is, the fine, is in the fine print of our daily lives. See, we're so big on the headlines, but it's really the fine print that's the building block of our character. And destiny. I mean, you build a marriage, not on the one grand vacation to Hawaii in a year, but you build your marriage on the daily acts of kindness, the daily acts of service, the daily acts of sacrifice that you make. And again, left to ourselves, we're going to fight that, we're going to challenge that, but it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the grace and the power to be the godly husband and father we need to be. Again, the Holy Spirit is our daily truth, helping us for sure in the big items of life, but not just in the big items, but in the everyday, daily duties and responsibilities we need to fulfill. I'd like to ask our keyboard player just to come up even as I close. But you know, the Holy Spirit was not a New Testament thing. The Holy Spirit has been there from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says the, whole, the Spirit was hovering to and fro throughout the earth as God created the world. He was all over uh, the Old Testament in the Judges, empowering and anointing specific individuals for a supernatural task. But the difference in the role of the Holy Spirit between the Old and the New Testament is this. In the Old Testament, He would come on a few individuals, the Saul's, the King Saul's, uh, the Gideon's, for a moment to empower them and then leave. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer forever, for all times, empowering us not just for big acts of faith, but in daily loyalty, faithfulness, and commitment to God, but to our families as well, and to our fellow believers. Let me just say, the work of the Holy Spirit is not an individual thing. In fact, quite far from it, if you read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit always fell on the church when they worshiped and prayed as a community. In other words, probably more than anything, more than just leading us individually into truth, the Holy Spirit brings us into unity as God's people and community as we each follow the Holy Spirit into truth. Because as we do that, As we follow God's truth, the Holy Spirit, on a daily basis, we're formed into a community that becomes the people of God, that lives a certain way, that's a witness to God, to to the world, that lives in contrast, in holiness, in love, in justice, in peace, in kindness, in wholeness, in holism, in beauty, in grace, in compassion, in mercy, in forgiveness, that stands in sharp contrast to the world. And so it's as we obey the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, together, that we become truly and live out the people of God. Let me just close with this story. Um, If you can show the picture um, that I have. There you go. This is Nick Nick. Okay? She's Cambodian or a kamay like they say a local kamay so Nick Nick was invited to church over in Nongpen every nation Pen. by the way Eric is back in yeah he's not he's here okay Eric served as a missionary Eric would know Nick Nick so Nick Nick was invited as a high school student to one of our services and heard the gospel for the first time in her life but she walked away kind of puzzled you know she's thinking all of my life I grew up that nobody can save Anybody. But this Jesus, first time she heard of Jesus, this preacher claims that this Jesus can save us. And so she was confused and puzzled. So she comes home, has lunch with her mother and grandfather, and she asks them, they grew up Buddhist, and she asks them, how, how do we get to paradise? You know? And so they thought, well, you know, be good. Just be good and we get to paradise. Okay. Now, Nick Nick ever since always had a heart for her people, the Kamayas. And so she asked, okay, so what happens to bad people? Well, they go to hell or whatever hell is in Buddhist terms. And so she asked, uh, so how can I help bad people get to paradise? And her mother and grandfather goes, can you stop asking all of these questions? Just eat your food and go to your room. Okay, so she was kind of taken aback. So she quietly finishes her food and walks back to her room. So all afternoon, she keeps wondering, how can I help bad people get into paradise. And so that dinner, she comes back out for dinner. It's just her mom. And then she picks up the conversation. So mom, again, how do I help bad kamais get into paradise? Can you stop asking all of these religious questions? Just eat your food, go back to your room. And so again, she just eats her food and she sadly walks back to her room. But now she's so grieved and burdened and she kind of whispers in her heart, I need to meet this Jesus because he has all the answers. And so she goes to bed that night, falls asleep, and has this dream. So she's in her bedroom, and all of a sudden, her door opens, and a bright light shines through her bedroom. Two bright, blinding light. so she kind of covers her eyes. But then she saw this figure walk into her bedroom and then disappear into, according to Le- another dimension in Marvel terms. So kind of slips out of her bedroom into a new dimension in the universe, kind of. And so she follows this figure. So she follows his faith, and next thing she knows, she's in this beautiful, indescribable garden. It's a longer story, but I have to kind of cut it short for time. It's this beautiful garden. She's all alone, and again, the bright light is shining. And so she's scared now because she's all alone. And so she asks the light, where am I, and who are you? And the voice responds to her, I am Jesus, the one that you're looking for. And so she asks Jesus, this is all in Kamai, in their language, do you have the answers? And this is what Jesus told her. Go back to that place where you came from this morning and you ask them for a Bible, right? Now, Nick Nick had never heard of a Bible in her whole life. But Jesus said it in Kamai ask them for a Bible. And so it's again, longer story, but she wakes up, long story. First thing, she wakes up, runs back to church, literally. And as soon as she gets there, she finds one of our missionaries, please give me a Bible. And our missionary is just too shocked you were just here yesterday first time you're asking for and so she kind of grabs the first Bible she could find and hands it to Nick 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 doesn't even say thank you runs back to her house into her bedroom shuts the door falls on her knees and is now crying Jesus you are truly so good you answered my prayer I now have a Bible with all the answers to my questions but there's one problem she says it's an English Bible I don't speak English. And I kid you not, according to Nick Nick's testimony, as soon as she said that, the Holy Spirit falls on her and she speaks and understands English fluently, just like that. That was a Monday, she reads the entire Bible from Monday to Friday. How many of you know, for us, it takes us a year, if we're good, if we're good Christians, to read the entire Bible. She read it in five days goes back to church the following Sunday, following Jesus, understanding English, reading the Bible. You know what? To this day, she's never been to any formal English class. She was uh, in the Manila to go through our entire school for admissions, four months of... Uh, Tyler, was she your classmate? No, okay, maybe earlier or after. Graduated, and to this day, if you ask Nick Nick, how did you know, how did you learn to speak English? The Holy Spirit taught me English. Again, the Holy Spirit is God's act of love toward each and every one of us. Guiding us, reorienting us to the truth in the big things of life, but not just in the big things, but in the daily decisions we all need to make and fulfill. Can I just pray with you for you and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor Tauli. Lord Jesus, thank you.